You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. So today we are continuing our Severance series review. This is season one once again, because I believe there's going to be a season two. Apparently, I think that was in the news. And given the show's popularity, it's supposed to be something that's going to continue. With that in mind, we are reviewing episodes five, six, and seven, and you just finished those. Is that, a, is that correct? That is correct. All right. I'm on, I'm on to episode eight, but we're not going to talk about that yet because we're not finished with that episode. Yes. Full disclosure, I've actually finished the series just to, uh, you know, see everything, get a better idea of it. And um, I'm going to do my best not to add any minor spoilers. I'm pretty confident that I will not um, in that case and just not to ruin your viewing experience either. But with that in mind, um, we're just going to go over each one, what we thought of it. And just like the last couple episodes, just give our general high level thoughts on it. So we do want to encourage our listeners. um, I mean, obviously, you're not listening to this if you are not watching or have not watched Severance. But um, we will be back with our regular format after we complete this series soon. So we only have one more episode of Severance um, talk, and then we will move back to films. Correct? Yes. Uh, We've seen plenty of them in the meantime, and uh, we'll get our thoughts going on a few of those. Have we? Okay. Um, all right. So I, I've seen a lot of films in the meantime. Okay. All right. With that in mind, well, you know how this works. We both have to have seen it in order to t- talk about it. Yes, that's very true. Um, I okay. would imagine that, uh, you might've, we'll get back to that anyway. Okay. So we are reviewing episode five, the grim barbarity of optics and design. And as you might remember, Irving, uh, is, uh, the guy who goes into optics and design. He's from Macrodata, one of the guys who works with the main characters, Mark, Helly, and all them. And he meets Bert, who he quickly finds a, a liking towards. I think they initially met during the wellness check, but something draws them sort of towards optics and design. Um, anyway, but we are actually following up on the fact that Helly had a suicide attempt. And I think the episode left us sort of wondering whether she'd survive or not. That is correct. Yes. Um, so with that in mind, what did you think about the end of episode four what would happen in episode five and what are your thoughts on how it played out? So I was very hopeful and optimistic, which I guess are the same thing that uh, Heli was going to survive the suicide attempt, largely because as I have said many times during this podcast, Heli is my favorite character in this uh, show. And so without her, I feared that this might take a go in a direction that would be even less, would make me even less enthusiastic about the series Fortunately, Heli survived, which turned out to be an interesting turn of events because naturally, if your innie tries to commit suicide, then consequently your Audi ceases to exist. And when I was watching the scene, I did not take all of that into consideration because I was just so concerned for Heli, the innie. Uh, So the ramifications of the suicide are far even more substantial than they would otherwise be. because of the whole innie versus Audi situation, the whole severance thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I mentioned in the previous episode that I was pretty much thinking that Heli 
would probably survive, but the ramifications, consequences would uh, obviously not be in her favor because of just how crazy this was. And I would imagine that they're very much not used to this at Lumen. Um, but it does turn out she gets right back to working as usual. Um, seems like they don't really mind. Whatever happens, happens there, no matter how crazy or out of line it is. We'll just sit you right back down at that desk and uh, continue on as if nothing happened. Because apparently meeting quota is what is paramount in this sort of way. But Quota for what, though? We still don't know. Right. Will I, will I ever know, Noah? No, you won't. Um, it's just, you know, the whole bottom line. The show... The show's strength and weakness, in my opinion, is sort of drip feeding you a little bit more the plot, a little bit more about the world and the building that they're in. But ultimately, a lot of it is just kind of weird quirks and teases that might be expanded upon in season two. But from what I've seen, especially in this episode, um, and which we'll discuss later, a lot of it just kind of goes nowhere and just kind of makes you think, oh, what a weird world they live in. I wonder what's happening there. But yeah, with can that, I just, can I just yes. say one thing here? Mm-hmm. Um, I have to shout out your mom because she is plugging through this with me. And, you know, this is the kind of show that I could have said to her, you want me to just watch it by myself? I'll download it and watch it while I'm traveling. And, but I think that she's been, frankly, much more interested than I have, than I am in, in this series. And so she's, aside from, you know, getting a good nap during the last episode, she's mm-hmm. really, she's really following it. So. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, We also see in this one, Mark S., of course, the main character, is reading uh, his brother-in-law, Rickon's book. And it's kind of changing his life as an any because it was not meant to be read on the inside. It was meant to be read on the outside. So really, it has the inverse effect by him being annoyed by Rickon and the outside world. But on the inside, when you're not really given anything outside of just the Lumen terminology, the handbook, all that kind of stuff, you know, it's kind of like a burning book situation, right? They don't allow, they have a very, very specific set of materials you can read and follow. So it's different. And it kind of teaches you a bit of anti-establishment ideas in it. So um, obviously he has a much different relationship with the book inside than he have on the outside. So um, yeah, that's something that he sort of hides and reads. So we're seeing a little bit more plot moving forward as the gang, maybe not all of them, are sort of suspicious and looking to sort of bend the rules a little bit. But I would say Mark and Helly are certainly on that warpath when it comes to questioning what they're doing and moving forward. So this is also the episode where Mark's sister gives birth on the outside, of course. Um, And I mean, right now, uh, at this point, we can't really see where that's going or how that will affect things. But I think he gets a little bit more time with Rickon his brother-in-law, who he finds annoying a lot of the time, but I think sort of things are starting to repair themselves when it comes to, um, when it comes to this thing. Okay. All right. So sorry, we just had to pause that for just a quick second. This is also the episode where I believe they're monitored by the wellness uh, individual. Uh, What's her name again? I I, uh, do not know. Oh, you are enthralled with this series, aren't you? Um, Anyway, so the wellness counselor, essentially. Oh, Miss Selvig. No, not Selvig. It's the um, it's the lady who asks the questions. Oh, the Annie. Annie. Okay, yes. Yeah, basically saying. Okay, anyway. Do you want me to say who it is? Because I know who it is. Uh, No, no, that's fine. Uh, um, Anyway, so 
Helly is being monitored because of her behavior by the wellness counselor. And then, of course, they find some convenient distraction for the wellness counselor to get up and go elsewhere. Irving uh, goes to Optics and Design to see more about Bert because obviously he's very smitten with him. And um, so Mark and Helly just kind of take a bit of a field trip to see what the pin caps and the storage closet or something like that. Indeed. Yeah. So it just so happens that they're able to escape into the hallway of which is a labyrinth, to say the least. But um, upon walking through the hallway and, of course, sort of whispering about things that, you know, they're sort of worried about and catching up on the situations, they do encounter this uh, one room where they hear goats and there's a guy feeding baby goats. And I can tell you right now, that does not go anywhere um, at not anywhere later in the series. And that's kind of what I'm talking about here. It seems like some loose threads. And I'm fine with ambiguity, of course. I've said this before, but my goodness, just being strange for the sake of strange without having really any necessary point to it can be fine. But overall, I feel like, I mean, it might be explored in season two, but at the same time, there's stuff that kind of rears its head, but doesn't necessarily present itself as any significant form later on i want you to know that if it does rear itself or show itself in season two you'll have to let me know about it (laughs) well let's get to that once we finish the finale and um, uh, give our thoughts but anyway yeah so this was i might do a 180 i might do a 180 you might you know and that could be that could be really good um this is also the episode where um Essentially, once Irving goes to optics and design, uh, he realizes that the department is much bigger. And uh, so Mil- Mr. Milchek, who is basically the hall monitor of <laughs> macro data, uh, is, he runs a 266 on Irving because he realizes that Irving is seeing that black goo again. And a 266 basically just tells them what's inside your brain. Like, what's going on? What are you thinking about? And we realize, I believe, that part of what Irving is thinking about sort of manifests itself onto this painting that is printed out that Mark discovers. And it's this very grotesque one about some kind of office warfare. And then um, it's actually meant for optics and design. So if that's a little bit confusing, you've watched the episode, but maybe it'll give you a few more details on that. And then we'll get into uh, episode six in just a second. So with that in mind, episode five, the Grim Barbarity of Optics and Design. Do you have anything left for it? And if you don't, what would you rate it? Um, no, I think you've done a good job of summarizing the the episode. It's, uh, you know, it, it did start to move some things along, I think, a little bit. And I was grateful for that. Um, overall, though, as I have said, I feel very stuck in this show. And mm-hmm. consequently, I'm going to give it one Z. One Z? Yeah, I would give this one probably two and a half Zs because I was, this was kind of the point where I felt like the show shifted a little bit more and we were going to get, you know, a lot of maybe what people were hyping the show up for. So I'm interested to see how we go into episode six to hear what you think. So episode six is called Hide and Seek. And um, do you remember anything about episode six that you'd like to talk about? Well, I think episode six finally started to, uh, the, sh- the show started to reveal itself a little bit toward mm-hmm. the end of episode six. Um, you know, we, we get a, a bit of a plot turn, so to speak, at the conclusion of the episode, which I think to some extent advances the storyline. Unfortunately, episode 
uh, seven didn't necessarily continue with that. So it's um, a little bit of a start and stop kind of scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Episode six, it's just kind of essentially the workers start a small bit of an office revolution. And um, it's kind of a coup in some sort of way, because as we know, everybody is sort of starting to get a little bit of suspicious of the work that they're doing. And in the beginning, we see Mrs. Cobell, who is uh, Mrs. Selvig on the inside, Mark's boss, uh, worshiping some kind of Egan shrine of some sort. And obviously, Egan, I believe, is like the current CEO of Lumen at that point. So uh, she gets weirder and weirder as it goes along. But um, a lot of stuff happens. A lot of people get sent to the break room. So the wellness, uh, the wellness counselor gets sent to the break room. And then she and Mark actually share this kind of small moment uh, while they pass by each other. And so you think to yourself, is there some sort of significance there? Is she just presenting herself as more human? Or does it happen to be something that's uh, possibly hinting at, you know, some sort of big reveal later? We're not entirely sure. But once again, people go to the break room. And at this point, I think we've seen enough of the break room to where it's just like, it's not as mysterious as a punishment anymore. Essentially, you're just going to apologize until they believe that you mean it. So it's essentially a polygraph test. And as we've seen Heli before, apologizing, what, 800, 900 times, something like that. It turns out that it's uh, actually not going to be something that's uh, too interesting. But yeah, um, with that in mind, uh, additionally, we're sort of looking at how the departments are being brought together. In fact, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Optics and Design, Bert and uh, Macrodata's Irving sort of come together and call for the departments to work together more, to see each other as friends rather than to be shrouded in secrecy. And to me, this kind of came off as one of those things where it's just like, how would this work at all? Because optics and design is full of people who have never seen macro data before. And then they kind of just bust in and say, hey, you know, we should all sing Kumbaya. We should be friends. We should form partnerships. And the show kind of started losing me a little bit more here because I feel like it starts to veer into the ridiculous rather than the sort of sharp, quirky, maybe slow going way of things. So what did you think? Well, I think fundamentally what we decided was in a in a an environment such as this, Lumen that is, mm-hmm. that is so full of cameras everywhere, mm-hmm. it struck us as very odd that not every um uh move that mm-hmm. every employee made was being watched. And so for them, I I enjoyed very much the fact that this is almost like the beginning of the uprising of the Indies. Yes, yes. But I just felt like it seemed a little too convenient that the uprising was possible given the amount of surveillance given or done within Lumen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the biggest reveal of this episode, before I go into that, what do you think of the break room thing now overall? It's just to me, the break room is just kind of overdone and has uh-huh. lost its mystery. I was just going to say that the break room is a little overdone. Um, we've talked about this in, in previous episodes. Um, you know, of course, the irony of the break room is that, you know, the break room is, is a, in, in the workplace is a place to um, look forward to, whereas the break room here is a source of punishment. But I think it's just excessive in this and it's sort of like a, a plot device okay well you've misbehaved you're going to the break room so we already know that 
you know, uh oh, they're misbehaving. They're going to get caught. They're going to end up in the break room. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the main things that I think this show is uh, started to uh, sort of present itself as is you can get a lot away with a lot and really be insubordinate and face no real repercussions. I mean, obviously, they get yeah. more suspicious as time goes on, but people are traveling department to department. They are walking through the halls. They're doing anything but working. I mean, hanging yourself in an elevator and or just going off and breaking the rules in any sort of way not much really happens. So you kind of feel like, okay, there was looming consequence at first, especially in the first few episodes, but now it's just kind of like, well, you'll get a slap on the wrist. I mean, it won't necessarily be fun, but there's not going to be something where the stakes are raised so high that you'll kind of have to be like on the edge of your seat. Yeah. It's such a scary environment um, with, you're right. Not a whole lot of work being done yet. The um, repercussions of the lack of um, efficiency and the lack of work productivity are, are fairly limited. It's, it's a little disappointing in that regard. Yeah. But I think we can actually just parlay those thoughts and move into sort of the big thing that happened in this episode, which was, uh, Dylan, you know, the bigger coworker who yes. was used to getting all of the sort of, um, incentives like the waffle parties and the, uh, finger traps and whatnot for doing great work and macro data. Uh, he is actually visited by Milchik when he is in his Audi at home and yeah, Milchik yeah. kind of switches him on and it just goes, you know, he asks, he basically interrogates him, asks him some questions about what's going on. And uh, then Dylan in a moment of uh, unplanned uh, issue actually discovers that he has a son because Mr. Milchik went to Dylan's house on the outside, told his son to count to a thousand and his son finished counting to a thousand and then came back in. So before he was switched to his sort of memory loss or, you know, back to his original programming, I guess you could say, he discovered a secret about himself on the outside that really starts to bother him. And you realize that Lumen is much more invasive than they may actually seem because they can kind of just control your life from the inside and the outside. And they are a bit of a watchful eye, kind of like Big Brother in that way, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So what did you think of that whole part? Did it, was it intriguing to you? Did it move the series along in a good enough way? Or did you feel like you're kind of like, all right, we need to learn more about this? 50% of what you just said, it was very intriguing to me. I don't know that it moved. Well, actually, that's not true. It really does start to move things along. Because as I said, what you're getting is the uprising of the innies. And each character has to have that moment where they realize, I'm more than this. There's something awry here. So Helly has had it from the moment that she, you know, from the from the moment the show started. Um, I guess Rickon's book is doing that to Mark. Now, you know, this guy has had it. So it's it's ultimately one, two, three. We're checking the boxes of we're building toward the point in time where they become a foursome that is determined to um, rebel against whatever's been happening to them. Oh, I, I think I that at some point we realize what they're rebelling against yeah and i think in this episode or the episode before this irving comes in and just says you know let's burn this place to the ground which yeah love to me, which to me was cool but i'm also just like wasn't this the guy who was just quoting by memory essentially the bible of lumen you know i mean but then he saw what was happening with bert his friend yeah sure absolutely but i think uh, on another level it's just kind of like it makes you think okay well that was easy i guess they were all just kind of once they were 
I don't know. To me, it seemed like a quick, a very, very quick change that I wish would have taken the process over multiple episodes, but it seemed like it really just kind of happened in one. Mm-hmm. But that aside, well, um, you mean we needed a ten- an extra episode to build? No, no. I'm just thinking like maybe a seed could get planted for Irving to start questioning a little bit more. I just didn't feel like he had enough of a development to sort of go into that contradictory mode that he immediately displayed as soon as he walked back into the office. But um, this episode also sees Mark going on a second date with um, the person that was set up with him. Uh And they go to some kind of punk, edgy concert where, you know, basically there's this anti-Lumen song and they're all screaming, you know, some... uh, Petey's daughter, June. What'd you say? Petey's daughter, June. That's right. Yeah, it's it's what the bassist is Petey's daughter and you know, they're basically singing expletives, uh, anti-lumen, very contradictory towards it. And then Mark kind of gets into it. It's so weird because they're out of place. And this is the funniest thing to me. Grace and I were discussing this. Whenever Hollywood presents sort of like alternative edgy people, it's always just like, oh, you know, these people walk in and they're fish out of water. Everybody here is wearing biker jackets and, you know, they look dirty and they're smoking cigarettes and they're supposed to be scary. It's just like, I, I don't know. I feel like Hollywood just loves to just like, <laughs> just kind of make those edgy things sort of sound like nobody could walk in and be welcome. But um, that sort of, yeah, that was another one of those weird moments during the show. But it did develop Mark a little bit more because you could tell on the outside, he was just kind of thinking to himself, something is wrong here. And I'm not sure if I do like the situation that I'm in. Yes. So one other scene I want to comment on, and maybe it was in episode eight mm-hmm. um is the person that mark's sister meets when at the birthing center where they're i think having, her name is gabby gabby uh and and she sees her again with her politician husband mm-hmm. and gabby pretty much doesn't recognize her or doesn't acknowledge her i thought that was an interesting scene and please tell me i'm going to get something out of that um i think you will and you'll probably actually you will um but remember her husband is a lumen backed senator who believes in severance as some kind of policy yeah so So i suspect that you know i think i figured out what's going on there but you know i like how they've given us a little bit about like sort of the political divide with severance um and i wish we would see a little bit more about that but it has been interesting just to see how it plays into sort of the world's culture norms and what people think of it because you know there's obviously activists against it and there's people who are just saying you know it's absolutely you know it's absolutely something that people should be able to do but obviously the whole the whole thing here is the moral quandary of your life's autonomy you know whether even though you would give it up, is it the right thing for you to do to really take away, um, you know, what you would do inside and outside of work, but you know, that's an aside. Um, And then Mark also in this episode, uh, he discovered, he answers Petey's phone and the person who basically reverse engineered Petey to be reintegrated, talks to him and says, meet me, meet me here. And, um, so that's sort of where the episode leaves off and we get a little bit more into what the rest of the series does turn out to be. And I know you've only seen episode seven and some of episode eight up to this point. So I'll keep quiet on some of that, but episode six, what did you think? Um, 
Again, it was a slight improvement over episode five. I'm going to give it one and a half Z's. Okay, I would give this one to move here a little bit. Yeah, I would get this. I would give this one two and a half C's because I did think that it was good enough just to continue going. And we've been saying this before. I mean, it moves the plot forward in a way where it's just kind of more snowballing into a significant sort of way of doing things. But uh, episode seven is Defiant Jazz. Now, hmm. this, one's, this one's very interesting. And yes, I would agree. Is this, this the one is- with the music? Yes. Uh And this is the first one that Ben Stiller directed again since episode, I want to say four. No, he had not directed an episode since episode three. Yeah. So Ben Stiller has uh, his mark and his uh, signature touch on this one again. What did you think of this episode and obviously the Defiant Jazz? Yeah, I I thought that this was probably the most amusing episode. I'm not going to call it enjoyable, but I thought that the whole, what's the... uh, the abbreviation or the acronym they use for the the music experience but to uh reward them milchik brings in a car, uh, cart with some records or you know, with you know some oh a choice of music that they get to select and so heli gets to select she selects the uh the maroc uh I think she's I think she looks over things and then she finally selects defiant jazz or maybe she talks about defiant jazz I thought the dance scene was pretty fantastic actually when I mean Milchek especially was really getting down with the lights and I mean they were all really getting into it except the one guy who ultimately you know shut the whole thing down but it was I thought that for five minutes I thought okay this is starting to um, there's a sense of levity mm-hmm. to the show that I'm starting, that's starting to, you know, um, show itself. Yeah. I appreciated that because there's not a whole lot of levity. This is a dark series, right? Dark visually and dark tonally. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that too. Oh my gosh. I don't know if it's the TV or the sun glare that we might've had at some point, but they are sneaking around. They are inside like a house where somebody's throwing a party and it is just pitch black i mean you can barely see people it is crazy how everything is just lit like some kind of i I don't know like some kind of like steakhouse at dinner yeah Yeah. but let us let us not forget the intentionality of the contrast right because their personal lives are all dark right visually dark um they're lonely they're depressed you know it's cold it's cold the uh, so their Audi life is um, there's a sense of a sadness to it, whereas yeah, the Indy life is in Lumen, which we all know is is you know it's they're being controlled there. Mm-hmm. Visually, it's all white and sterile and pristine, and so it, it's obviously a visual intentional contrast between the innie and the Audi experience. But it's almost comically dark in my opinion. It's I just think it's really hard to see and understand what's going on. And I think we've said this about a couple of shows in the past, but my goodness, it's just like turn burn the light extra, on tomorrow. extra lamp on. One extra lamp, that's all. I mean, people are just talking it's just like you're kind of laughing at just how dark it is over mm-hmm. there. I mean, my goodness. But that aside, um a lot of things move forward with this episode. So Mark does go to meet uh, the person who was on the phone from Petey's phone. And essentially this person tells him everything that's going on and that she's going to help him get out of his sort of severance. Because she's the one who implanted the chip in him. 
Yes. And then the one security guard at Lumen uh, walks in and is immediately met by a bat to the head. And I mean, he dies. So another moment where I thought, well, isn't that convenient? This guy walks in and says, are you having a conversation with someone, Mark? You know, it just seems like, where did he come from? All of a sudden, he's just showing up. Yeah. And then, I mean, immediately he he dies so i mean problem taken care of i suppose but it's just interesting to think that there's one head guy at lumen security that there's not like a thousand people but that aside mark now realizes what's happening on the outside and he has that to sort of grapple with and um then there's the whole defiant jazz on the inside which was i like you would say probably the most enjoyable and sort of i guess tongue-in-cheek part of the episode but uh, with that in mind, uh, this episode also does see us sort of, um, uh, it does see us moving on with sort of the coup and they're really plotting and planning this time. Uh, what else do you remember for this episode since you just watched it? Um, well, the reveal yeah. is, um, you know, Mark is clearly distraught and uh, the the midwife or the, you know, the person who assisted in um, the birthing of his niece or his nephew, um, you know, is, is a romantic entanglement. Mm -hmm. And so she comes back to get her phone and he wants to demonstrate to her that he's fine and that he has passed, uh, you know, he's gotten over his wife and that sort of thing. So he rips up the photo of her. And of course, the conclusion of the episode is that he's, you know, he's remorseful, she's left, and he's putting the photo back together. And of course, every shot, his thumb is over the person's face. Mm-hmm. Now, in the entire time, I kept saying to your mom, it's Heli. I guarantee you it's Heli. I thought so, too. Turns out, oh, did you? Yeah. And it turns out it's the, um, uh, I forgot, Miss Casey. Miss Casey, the wellness counselor that yes. we were talking about before. Yes. And um, it is kind of funny because at this point in time, uh, some small sort of maybe not office relationship, but you could tell there's a spark between Heli and Mark at this point. Yeah. And um, so we get the reveal that his wife, whom he had previously believed to be deceased, is actually alive, but he doesn't know that because he doesn't know what his any is seeing and experiencing. Right. So, yeah, it, that's that's a very interesting sort of twist to this episode. And I found that to be something that really moved us along. And I liked that. But um uh, they also learn about the overtime contingency, which is what happened to Dylan. And of course, Dylan is super mad about this because he remembers part of this at the work uh, on the work day while they're dancing around them. He tackles and bites Milchek and Milchek sort of lets his guard down and just gets very angry. And he says, oh, you've done it now, Dylan. You know, just wait until well, he, him. he was bleeding. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, nothing comes of that at no. all. Actually. No, all of a sudden he's saying good, goodbye to, to Bert. Yeah, he's saying goodbye. All of a sudden, you know, uh, they're basically sending Bert off. It seems like he's retiring. And then Irving just walks in, even after they were given some sort of security measure and macro data by, you know, this like security door that they couldn't come in and out of. But Irving is out of it. And he makes his way over to the optics and design department. And they're doing the retirement party for Bert. And Milchek sees Irving. And basically says, hello, optics and design and one macro data refiner. You can right. stay. Another moment where I just thought, really? This doesn't make any sense. I know. I know. And it's just kind of like, okay, so there's really, it's almost like there's a threat of security, but at the same time, they really 
let them get away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, they do. They do. And is this the episode where a specific person is fired? A specific um, high-ranking person is fired? That might come next. I think it comes next. I haven't seen it. Yeah. All right. Um, and at this point, yeah, that's basically uh, that's basically what happens. Irving is really upset that all of this has occurred. And um, yeah, you were talking about the big reveal with what happens and including his wife. So I felt like this was actually my favorite episode of the season. Mine too. Mine too. Because suddenly you have solidarity in the four in macro data refinement, data refinement, Mm -hmm. and you have, um, you know, the reveal of Mark's, Mark's real wife. Yeah, absolutely. She's not really dead. She's just an innie. Exactly. And he does not know that. And he has sparked some sort of uh, interest with Heli because I think that, um, well, I don't want to reveal too much because that might happen in the next episode. I'm not quite sure. But uh, with that in mind, this really was the turning point for the series in terms of like basically the point of no return, right? This is where you kind of can't come back from it. No more office shenanigans and all that kind of stuff. So we were, I, I was, I was pretty impressed with this episode because it just, it was entertaining above all else. And it had sort of the earlier levity you were talking about while also meaningfully moving the plot forward. I know I've said that a million times, but my goodness, when you're watching a show that is as drawn out and long as this one, sometimes you just need some sort of forward movement. And I want to say that I understand where some people can think this is an absolute piece of brilliant art. I just can't get behind that just yet. So on a scale of one to five Zs up through, well, up through what you recall as episode seven. Define jazz. Yeah. How many Zs would you give this series up through episode seven? The series. The series. Or maybe that's unfair to ask you since you've seen the whole thing and you could actually give me a score. Right. It wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily be equivalent in terms right. of what we know. So I'm just going to go for the episode and say I would give this one three and a half Zs. Uh, I think this one was three and a half to four Z's. I thought it was the best episode by a long shot. All right. I'm going to give it three Z's because I can't give anything uh, related to severance much more than that. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you have two more episodes to endure and uh, it seems like you're going to finish it within (laughs) the next week. Enjoy, endure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It seems like you're going to finish it within the next week or so. So I'm looking forward to what you think of the finale and if it does change some thoughts retroactively for you. But those are episode reviews of what five, six, and seven yes. of Severance. One more episode, folks. And we recognize that if you have not watched Severance and are listening to this, which frankly, we don't know why you would be listening to this if you haven't watched it. But if you haven't, you're probably as confused, more confused than we are. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's something that I'd say you have to see to believe, but mm, maybe think twice. Anyway. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, but yes, thank you for listening to that review. Uh, we're going to move right into check it out. So what do you got? All right. Uh, real quick. I had a uh, birthday last week and I enjoyed my very first Alamo draft, um, uh, experience. So Alamo draft house. Yes. yes. And, and what uh, did we see? Well, we, that's for another, that's for another check it out. I'm just going to say my Alamo draft house experience was very positive, very cool, pseudo retro pseudo i don't know but um full service restaurant inside a theater um fun experience one that i would certainly return to over time i wouldn't do it every time i go to a movie but um i think it's a lot of fun and i'm really glad we got to do it together 
Yeah, it's great. I think early on I said something about Alamo Draft House, and that still rings true because it's just a lot of people aren't really finding incentives to go to movie theaters, even today, uh, when there's a ton of people coming back for the cinema experience. But if you really want something special and you actually want to go sit down and eat, Alamo Draft House just makes the movie going experience that much better. If you got one in your area, I definitely recommend it. There's probably one around Charlotte, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I feel like every movie lover should at least experience. They're all over the country. Yeah, I figured they were. I figured they were. But um, yeah, and uh, what well, we saw a movie that we can review at some point next week uh, over there. But um, my check it out is kind of a PSA for this one. Of course it is. <laughs> I saw Don't Worry Darling last night with Harry Styles and Florence Pugh. Directed you went with Harry Styles and Florence Pugh? What's that? You went with Harry Styles and Florence Pugh? No, no. They were the stars of this one. Oh, okay. I understand the joke, but unfortunately it just didn't land whenever like a lead balloon. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, this one this one has been subject to some media controversy uh, because of the casting and what Florence Pugh may or may not uh, think of Olivia Wilde and their relationship because of that casting change. Additionally, there was some footage of Chris Pine and Harry Styles in two separate instances where it seemed like something was going on that was out of the ordinary, but I would say don't go see this one. Um, I found it to be interesting. And if you've been thinking about it, my sort of check it out is to don't check this one out because it's a bit of a PSA in this sort of way. Um, A lot of nothing happens in the movie, but if you're curious about seeing it, go see it for yourself. Olivia Wilde has directed a better movie called Booksmart that I saw about a year ago or two or three years ago. And that one was much better. So with that in mind, that is my check it out. We have less than a minute left here. So thank you once again for listening to another episode of ZZ Talk. We'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming very soon in about two weeks. But until then, I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk.